You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning. Good morning, church. So good to be here. Hello. Uh, I really missed church. We were away for a couple of weeks, and this morning I came, I was like, oh, so good to be here. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Nilu. Uh, it's a Persian name. It means water lily. You won't forget it now. Uh, I'm one of the trustees here at church. It's an absolute privilege to actually serve in that capacity. Uh, But I've been coming to church. uh, I've been calling Hull Vineyard my home for about 14 years now. I was seven when I started coming. I'm joking. (laughs) More like 17. (laughs) Don't do the maths. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's so lovely. It's changed so much over the years, but it's just wonderful. So this morning... Let us pray. That's our, that's our title. So in the last few weeks, we've been learning about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching to his disciples effectively how to pray. And we've had the privilege of actually learning and delving really deep into the meaning behind these 53 words in Matthew 6. This morning, what we've got left to do is to actually do the praying. As John said previously a few weeks ago, The Lord's Prayer is actually our gateway to the Lord's Kingdom. For to pray is not just about the prayer itself, but it's actually about what's formed within us and shaped within our hearts when we step out and pray. It's about the process of prayer and petition and what it actually does. For me, to be a disciple of Christ and actually not to pray would be virtually impossible. As many of you know, I come from a different background, a religious background. I converted from Islam to Christianity in my early teenage years. And I can't remember a time where actually I didn't pray in my life. But the religious prayer is completely different. It's very prescriptive. It's very repetitive. It's often said without you actually knowing the meaning behind the words. It's more of a memory test. But in Christ... When we talk about prayer, it's about this relational conversation. It's a dialogue. It's dynamic. It's real. It's heartfelt. It's exciting. It's mystical, full of mystery. And it's often messy, and it could be very painful. For us to have a prayerful life is to live out of that. And it is what what we call to be, to be true followers of Christ. And it creates this harmony when we step out. It creates this harmony between us and God. And we almost have to wrap ourselves around having a prayerful life and living outside of that, out of that. It's from within us that it comes out. For me, personally, prayer is how I discovered Christ. He answered my prayer by revealing his true self to me. It is why I'm in hell. It is why I became a lawyer. Even the practice area I'm in is because of what the Lord did and spoke to me. It is the source of many exciting and great moments in my life, but also of great sadness and painful times as well. I still have many unanswered questions, some unanswered prayers. It is wild, it is exciting, it's unpredictable, and as I said, full of mystery. But you have to be prepared to lay it all down, to strip bare in front of your creator and to let him in. And it's sometimes in the most hurt areas of our lives that we invite him in 
But what you get in return is this sense of wholesomeness. It's this closeness to God himself that there is nothing, that there's nothing this world that can offer us that could replace that. This is what we, what we um, learn from Philippians 4. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, you know, it is all-encompassing. To have a truly prayerful-led life, we can't hide any aspects of our lives from God. We can't hide our anxieties from our Father. We are called to bring it all to him. This is what C.S. Lewis says. We must lay before him what is in us, what is not ought to be in us. No masks, no pretense. And isn't that so freeing to know that we have this access to this Father that's constant um, kind of, we can, we can go to him, that we don't have to wear a mask or pretend, that we don't have to do this so-called life alone. It's this relational partnership, this sonship, this daughtership that we can lean into to remember that we have the backing of the king. However, unfortunately, often we become more familiar with our own anxieties and our insecurities than we become uh, familiar with the, the, the peace that transcends all understanding. Let's be real. You may be familiar with this in, in the natural sense. You may have, have an amazing father that you could have always leaned into. Not so much my experience. But more importantly, in the supernatural sense, you know that we have this heavenly father that has your back that you can go to, you can be real and you can be honest with him. And he still loves you and he still accepts us and equips us to carry on. A father that will show us the sense of direction when we feel lost, that will mend us when we are broken, that will carry us when we feel truly alone. I mean, this in itself for me is, at least it should be sufficient enough to propel me to carry on on my journey of prayer for life. And I hope it is the same for you. For me personally, I cannot live my life without having this constant dialogue, this conversation with God. Could be that I'm on the go and sometimes I may actually forget that I'm outside and I'm actually start talking to myself and people see me and they think I'm crazy, but that's okay. But I'm constantly talking to God, asking him questions. What do you think about this? What do you think I should do about that? Or what about this? What about that? But there are times that I'm actually like, I'm praying for something very specific and I'm either seeking or knocking and we'll come to that, depending on what it is. And I know it's about to get tough and I know it becomes a spiritual battle. It's a warfare. Josh spoke about that uh, last week. And these are the times I know I need to buckle down and I need to sit tight and keep pressing. And then until, until there's a breakthrough. And it, for me, personally, always involves fasting, which I will touch on towards the end of my talk. For you, it might look different. It's, a, it's not about taking a box. It's about trying something that works for you, not something that you know you're going to fail from the start. Just to start from where you are. Just do what works for you. Thomas Merton said that when it comes to prayer, we're all beginners. We're all learning. We're all on a journey. The key is to do it, to start from somewhere. The Bible is full of prayerful characters. I love Daniel. You have him that he prayed about everything and he's receiving these crazy visions and interpretations and he was a serial faster. And then you have Esther 
who's praying and asking her cousin and the rest of the Jews to actually unite with her in prayer and fasting. And he went into the king's uh, presence, risking her life because she was not invited, if you know the story. And what happens next in her story is simply extraordinary. And then we have Peter in the New Testament. He's in jail. An angel comes and breaks him out of jail whilst the others are gathered together in the house praying for him. This is the power of prayer we're talking about. Individual prayer and corporate prayer. God incidences happen when we pray. And there is a mystery in God's ways when it comes to prayer. The trouble is that people often wander away from God when they get a no or when life gets hard. Rather than running to God, we tend to want to run away from God. And you can see this from the very beginning of time. What was the first thing Adam and Eve did when they sinned against God? They ran away. They hid themselves, didn't they? It goes sometimes against our very nature to actually run to God in our moments of weakness and vulnerability. But to have a prayerful life is to swim in the ocean of intimacy with God rather than just dipping our toes in. This intimacy was won for us on the cross by Jesus Christ himself so that we can have this unrestricted access to the Father. In times of trouble, fast or famine, feast or famine even, we should run to God rather than away from him and to continue to press into his presence because it is ultimately his presence, his wisdom and his power and his kingdom that what we need Sometimes we get too sucked in into what I call in our household the military operation, the rat race, the to-do list. Get up in the morning and you've got a strict deadline, tight deadlines to, to, to hit. By 8 o'clock we've got to be out the house, quarter past 8 we need to do this. And then, and then you just get too sucked in and you forget that actually there is more to this. Or sometimes we become too excited about the other things of the world that are not necessarily too bad, getting excited by our career progressions or the other things rather than actually winning the spiritual battles. We almost separate our normal lives and spiritual lives and put them into two categories. But it's not about that. Sometimes we shift our focus from the main and the plane and we actually get sucked in with the other things. Remember this, a prayerful life cannot be uh, taught. I can't stand here and, I can stand here and teach you all about it, but unless you actually do it, you're not going to experience it for yourselves and to discover it for yourselves. So what I'm hoping today is I'm going I'm to talk about three Ps of prayer, and I'm hoping that it will help you on your journey of having a prayerful life. So our first P is practice. Practice, practice, practice. You often hear that a lot, don't you? When Jesus was asked by his disciples, Lord, show us how to pray, what did he do? He actually prayed. He started by praying. It's not about the theory, it's about the practice. The funny thing is with prayer, once you start to pray, you actually learn how to pray. You learn it on the job. You learn as to go on. So if you want to have a prayerful life, start living a prayerful life. But be realistic. Pray as you can. I told you, for me, it's on the go often. I like to go for a walk for a light jog or when I'm on my, on my way back from the school run. And sometimes, as I said to you, I have to get on my knees. I know that. I have to dedicate specific times and I fast along with it. 
But do what you can, whatever works for you. If it's five minutes, if it's two minutes, pray on your commute to work, on your walk back from the school run. Journal it, write it down. I've got many friends, I journal sometimes, who do that, it works for them. God is not really bothered about how you do it or how eloquent your words are, or if you are angry or if you're frustrated. He just wants to hear from us. Don't fake it, just show up. And just be honest and keep showing up. And the more you do it, what happens to us is, is, is really incredible. You actually start to like hanging out with Jesus. And it's almost like you miss it when you don't do it. You're like, I feel like it's, it's like almost like I have to speak to my mom every day on the phone. It's like with the, the days that I don't, even if it's for five minutes to touch base, I feel like, oh, I've lost something. I need to do something. Oh, I need to give her a call or see her do something. It becomes like that. Who likes a massage here? Yeah, I love them. I could get one every week if I could afford it. Um, so when we were on holiday, there's was, was a few of us um, with our in-laws, so everybody decided to do their own things. It was me and my, our seven-year-old daughter together, and I had already booked a massage, and the plan was that she was going to be with Grandma, but for, for a reason it didn't happen. So I thought, I've got two choices. I either take her along to massage and introduce her to the wonders of spa, or I cancel my appointments. Of course, I chose the first one. I took her along. And uh, lo and behold, she got absolutely hooked. She loved it. I thought she was going to fall asleep. <sighs> Prayer sometimes feels like that for me. It's kind of like a, getting a spiritual massage. You go in there all tense and tired and anxious, and you sit in God's presence. And what happens is God takes it all away. And you come out and you feel this peace and you feel this heavy burden has been lifted off your shoulders and your posture is almost changed. You walk a bit straighter, taller. It's like that. So start from where you are. It could sound like this. It could look like this. You say, Abba, Father, I really don't know how to deal with this. Hear me out. Help me out. Or Father, I don't know how even to pray about this. Will you help me? Father, I have so much to do today that I don't even know where to start. Will you bless my time and stay with me? That's often my prayer. But also, practice to be silent and still in God's presence. This is what the Lord says. Be still and know that I am God. This one for me is sometimes the hardest bit of it. But it's, all, but it's also the most rewarding. Sometimes just sitting in, in silence in God's presence is all we need because it's what transforms us. Because in that moment, in those moments of satin, sitting still, God shows us our most inner desires to us. And then he takes over the havoc and the million tabs that we have open in our heads. And he calms us down and he transforms us into experiencing him and his love for us. And that he tells us that he's the only one that we can fully rely on. That forget about the other dependencies that he's the one we need. So here is the thing, cultivating a, a prayer for life always involves shifting of priorities. In order for us to say yes to something, we may have to say no to something else. It could be that first thing in the morning, rather than reaching out for your phone, half asleep, grabbing it, going on social media, or checking the BBC news or whatever it is, they actually say, I'm going to spend 10 minutes just in God's presence and I'm going to pray and invite him to come in. 
It could be that instead of listening to a podcast on your commute to work, you actually decide, I'm just going to be still and silent and actually listen to see if God's got anything to say. It's about saying no to something lesser in order to get hold of the things of God. Our second P is practice. No, perspective. (laughs) Our first P was practice. Second one is perspective. There's two folds to this for me when it comes to perspective. And the first one, John touched up on again a few weeks ago. This is what Pete Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, writes. The most important discovery you will ever make is the love the Father has for you. Your power in prayer will follow from the certainty that the one who made you actually likes you. He is not scowling at you. He is on your side. Unless our mission and our acts of mercy, our intercession, petition, confession, and spiritual warfare begin and end in the knowledge of the Father's love, we will act and pray out of desperation, determination, and duty, instead of revelation, expectation, and joy. It is a discovery. It's a personal experience. As I said, it can't be taught or learned by reading books or journals. You have to delve into the scriptures. You have to sometimes go on your knees to experience this for yourself. It's like almost when you experience uh, love in the earthly sense. You could watch all the rom-coms there are out there. You could read all the novels. But it doesn't make you an expert in any of it. You won't experience love for yourself firsthand until you actually go on that first date, you get the butterflies in your stomach, the first I love you's, and the anxiety of the other person actually not feeling the same about you. It's almost the same with prayer and experiencing God's love for you. You can read all about it. You can read people's greatest journals on it and books on it. But unless you have a daily relationship with God, you don't get to discover this, old, this intimate love and his presence. And this is what will change your perspective. But the second fold to it is our perspective in terms of our lives. That We need to have a heavenly, heavenly perspective. That as precious as this life is, it is temporary. That when we eventually die, it is not the end for us, but a new beginning. A beginning of our eternity with Jesus. Then it doesn't matter so much what we have on our list of requests to God. It doesn't matter what house we end up living in, buying, which car we're driving, which career path we're in. As long as we put him first. As long as we do it for him. Because we get to spend our eternity with him. And I often say, we're going to have our eternity with Jesus. We better start practicing from now. My third and last P is perseverance. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time on that. So bear with me. Because for me, personally, this is the hardest part when it comes to having a prayer for life. Prayer is a spiritual investment into your eternity. It takes time. We live in such a fast-paced world these days, especially in the West, specifically in the UK. I've noticed Europeans seem to be a little bit more relaxed. You can almost notice that when you go abroad on holiday, you go sat in a restaurant. After five minutes of ordering, you can almost notice who are the Brits because the necks are like rising, looking, where's my food? Whereas the Europeans are a little bit more chilled. (laughs) We want it all now. The slight delay, and we want to get involved. 
all right, I've been praying for two days for this. It's not happened. Nothing's happened. It's time for action. I'm going to do it myself, my own way. I'm the same. Trust me. I'm a bit of a control freak. Confession time. It is my natural instinct to want to get involved and take control of the situation rather than handing it over to God. So it doesn't come naturally to me to actually to, to lay it all. And the worst part for me is my lack of patience. I get jittery. I'm like, come on, this needs to happen now. Why is it not happening? But it is about sowing seeds. You sow the seeds, and it's Jesus who waters it, who tends to them, and it grows them. It takes time. To have a prayerful life is to relinquish control completely and labor and wait. I've got first-hand experience of it. It's been a journey for me, and it will continue to be one. And it's often painful. Matthew 7, 7 to 8. This is what it says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Here's the tricky part. When we experience pain or unanswered prayers, we often question. Question God. And this, almost we've got this tension between God being all-powerful and God being all loving and all good. There's a tension between his goodness and his power. The perfect example for me in the Bible, I think it's one of the most powerful images that we have of Jesus, is Jesus on his knees in Gethsemane. This is hours before he is arrested and goes on the cross. For you and I, for the sins of the world. And this is what he's saying, effectively praying to his father, saying, Abba, everything is possible for you. You can take away this cup from me, this suffering away from me, but not my will, let yours be done. And then there is silence. Jesus himself felt God's silence and unanswered prayer in the most desperate hours of his life. His prayer was not answered in the way he asked. So when we experience silence, it is not because of our lack of faith or the lack of praying, if we have been praying. Sometimes our small requests are answered, but the deepest ones aren't. When we have our loved ones dying in front of us, and we're praying, and we know God can heal, that everything is possible for him, and yet it doesn't happen. We almost feel that God is allowing the suffering to continue. And the trouble is, if we didn't know that God is all-powerful, it, it would almost be a, a, an easier pill to swallow. But remember this, God works in mysterious ways. He is alive, he's unpredictable. Ask, seek, knock. Three words. For me, these show three layers of progression in our prayerful life. It's a journey. We all have asks. The requests the lists. Even the non-believers ask the Lord in their moments of desperation, God, if you're really up there, will you just? But to seek is another level. It's to go into a deeper level of, in our prayerful journey. It's a longer process. The word seek is often associated with seeking God himself in the Bible. Seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added to you. We start by asking. 
and then we grow into having a relationship with God himself. The thing we are promised to find in the midst of seeking is God himself. And then we've got the third layer, knock. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. It's interesting, it says the one for seeking and the knocking. Then it says everyone. There's not, it's not many of us. It kind of indicates almost it's like another level you have to push through. Again, this is about having a deeper relationship with God, with Jesus himself. And what happens when you knock? The door is opened and you invite the person in to come and dine in with you. And think about the cultural significance of it at the time. To actually invite somebody into your house, to break bread with them, and to actually eat with them, it was of huge significance. You let in somebody into your house. It spoke of intimacy and acceptance. And it's the same for us. This is what Mother Teresa says. Prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of containing God's gift of himself. Ask and seek, and your heart will grow big enough to receive him and keep him as your own. But the flip side of this is seen in Luke 18.1. But before Luke goes into telling the story, Jesus' story and parable of the persistent widow and the judge, he gives us the moral of the story. And you don't often see that with the parables. Often you have to kind of think, what does he actually mean? We don't have the moral of the story. But Luke starts with this. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So it speaks of persistence. So when we are faced with silence, with unanswered prayers, you have two paths. We have two paths in front of us. We either trust God and his sovereignty, what I call the mystery of prayer, or we get up and turn our backs on, on God and walk away. For me, trust comes before faith because it comes from your relationship with Jesus. That despite his silence, not answering this prayer, he still loves you and he's beside you. And when you're going through suffering, he hears you and he still deeply cares for you. He is collecting your prayers and your tears because you matter to him. Don't forget, Jesus himself had wounds. He also experienced the silence. The man who walked on water, raised the dead, gave sight to the blind and drove out demons was on his knees hours before he was crucified and was faced with God's silence. This is our suffering God, the servant God, but he is also our healer, our champion, our lover and our provider. We have to accept that there are some questions that we'll never know the answer to this side of heaven. We need to accept it and learn to move on. There's this constant kingdom tension, remember, the here now and the not yet. Jesus was the one who healed the many around him, yet he was crucified on the cross for us all, and he died for us to receive ultimate life and healing. God works in mysterious ways. We can never fully understand God, but we can choose to trust him. We can trust in the God that Jesus introduced to us, the God who clothed himself in humanity, lived amongst us, and healed us, and yet suffered and died for us. He's not some distant God, God of religion. He's not interested in rituals or blabbering of religious text, but it, He's, he's really interested in having a personal, intimate relationship with us. 
and it's messy, and it's real, and it's authentic. And he is with you in the midst of your suffering. I've been brave, and I've picked up an extraction from my journal in one of the probably the deepest, darkest days of my life. Um, this is after having been in A&E for 24 hours. Just over a year ago, I was in excruciating pain, June last year. Um, and then I was sat on the bed waiting to go into the operating theater. And there was nobody there that didn't allow my family to come in. Nobody knew what was going on. So in that moment, this is why, this is what I wrote in my journal, which I had with me. Are you testing my patience, God? Or perhaps the stretching me and my faith muscles? Whilst I'm left here lying on the bed, praying my socks off, that my ovary is not completely dead and functioning, the lady on the bed beside me is having a pregnancy termination. Having been trying for a baby for so long now, this feels like a sick joke almost. Some sick joke that the world is trying to pull on me. The silence is the worst part. You know I'm a control freak, God. I want to at least know the facts so I can assess and calculate and do the pros and cons and add it to my endless list. And this lack of answer is driving me mad. The doctors can't give me an answer. Haven't I already had enough pain? Jesus, you've been the only constant and rock in my life. I feel you and your loving touch around me, on me. I know you are soothing my broken heart and my shattered body. You're asking me to come to you and that you will give me rest. I'm just so tired, God. I have felt so tired for so long. This life has felt like an unending loop. Come on, Jesus. We have so much more to do together. I need to see my mates and my family come back to you. I need to know that I will see them in eternity. Haven't you said it's you and I against the world? You're my one and only after all. I could really do with a hug right now. It was a long entry. I share this with you, not because I want self-pity, I hate those. But just to give you a glimpse of my own personal prayerful life. As I stand here, I've experienced firsthand what it's like to be faced with the silence, to have unanswered prayers. And maybe it landed home with some of you today. Maybe you heard your own prayers in this. I went on to have another 12 months of pain and being on strong painkillers. The last probably 14, 15 months of my life have been quite um, painful in the physical sense and the spiritual sense. But God has healed me, and he has answered my prayer. So don't give up. It is a spiritual battle going on. As I said, Josh spoke about this last week. Ephesians 6.12, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Prayer is a warfare against the spiritual rulers and powers and forces of evil that oppose us. One of my favorite examples of a man who fought spiritual battles in the Bible is Daniel. He, I call him a serial faster. 
His book is filled with so many examples of spiritual battles, and he often overcomes them with prayer and fasting. And for me, until about a year ago, as I said, because of health reasons, I um, frequently fasted on a regular basis. Um, I went through a phase of actually fasting one day a week, not because I was asking for anything in particular, but just because I really wanted to press into God's presence. And I've got many examples to share with you, but the biggest one, and this is what started my fasting journey, and I'm just conscious of time, um, is when I was 18, um, I, I got accepted to university to come to Hull, and when I came for the open day, God very clearly spoke to me that this is where I want you to be. Um, so I went back, and I got the grades, and I got in. Everybody was against it, and my mum didn't even come with me for the open day because she didn't want me to leave, um, leave home. Um, but then because of all the immigration paperwork and stuff, I didn't have all the paperwork that I needed at the time, and I spoke to the solicitors. This is June, July, and September starts. Um, September's only around the corner for university to start. And basically she said, um, it will be virtually impossible for us to get the paperwork in time. You're looking at, if you're lucky, her words, if you're lucky, it'll be, it'll be um, Christmas, probably next September, you need to defer a year. And I thought, do you know what? God has spoken to me very clearly. I know I'm meant to go to Hull, and it is this year. So let's buckle down. I'm going to pray and do the only thing I know and fast. And I said to the Lord, I'm going to fast for as long as it takes. I know you've called me to be in hell. Lo and behold, I was fasting for 40 days. Towards the end of it, I, I, I did Daniel's fast. I wasn't just not eating anything at all. I was just having very simple food. I was actually quite poorly towards the end of it. I was like covered in spots and breakouts. Three days before the deadline, the paperwork came through. It was a miracle. Nobody could believe it. I've got so many stories of that, not just from me, for the people around me as well. So when I'm standing and asking for something, and I know it's big, and it requires breakthrough, I fast alongside of my praying. It takes time and perseverance, but for me, it's simple. I'm showing God that I'm fully reliant on Him and asking Him to be my daily bread rather than my physical daily bread, as to speak. I let Him to take over the desires of my heart. I ask for his will. I say, you know what I want, but let your will be done. But I know if the lack of answer is because of the spiritual battle, I say I'm here for the long run. We've got J. John coming up. It's going to be a great opportunity for our city. When we come, I would say we've got time now. Let's get on our knees. Let's pray and let's fast for this. My hope and prayer for us all to experience the richness of God's holiness and goodness and the kindness in his presence by leading prayerful lives, for prayer to be the center of our lives. And I want to finish with this. When David was crowned the king of Israel, the first thing he did was to place prayer at the center of God's people. For 33 years of his reign, worship and prayer happened 24 hours a day. His reign was probably the political high point of the Israelites' history. He built his life around prayer and God took care of everything else. He was not a political man, but peace and prosperity was plenty during that time. So let us pray and prioritize God's presence over our personal and collective lives. And hopefully we see the kingdom break through in our lives and in our city. Let us stand. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect and stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church 
go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon. Thank you.